0: The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Video description could soon go high-tech. Learn how and why on ACB Reports for May 2013. The passage of the Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010 has generated more interest in descriptive video. But as video becomes more dominant on the Internet and even in textbooks, the term descriptive video is beginning to mean much more than simply a description of the action in your favorite movie or television show. Josh Neely is a scientist with the Video Description Research Center at the Smith-Kettlewell Eye Institute in San Francisco. During the 2012 National Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind, he explained some of the center's research.
1: Thank you so very, very much for such a fabulous introduction, and, and also thank you all for allowing me to come and speak to you today. The ACB has always been a huge fan and friend of description and has done an enormous amount over the years to further the goals of description in the United States and around the world in many cases. I am a blind scientist working in San Francisco and my field is information accessibility. So although I am currently working on video description, one of the most important issues right now in access to information My prior work has uh, been around accessible tactile street maps for wayfinding, techniques for education in STEM areas, so science and math, wayfinding tools, and other information accessibility technologies. My wife calls me a mad scientist. (laughs) And of course that means I have to tell you what I'm mad about, right? So, well, I'm not mad, but I am irritated about a bunch of things. And one of them is the fact that it is so difficult to get hold of video description. You either have to download it illegally or semi-illegally, or you need to find a library that has a reasonable collection of described media, described videos, or you need to buy your own special described copies. So as I have sort of lived as an accessible technology developer and blind person, Many times what happens to me is I think, isn't there a better way to do this? Shouldn't we be able to do something more interesting, more creative, and more accessible with the technology that is just happening around us? That's really what I wanted to tell you about primarily today, is a system that we're developing at the Smith Kettlewell Video Description Research and Development Center called the Descriptive Video Exchange, also called DVX. I'm going to tell you about a few other things going on at the center as well, but DVX really is at the very heart of a number of the technologies that we're currently investigating and developing. I want you to also keep in mind that we do not develop products. The research center where I work is a place where we're looking two, three Five, ten years down the road to see what types of technologies are we going to need to address the barriers that may exist now, but will almost certainly exist in even more profusion in a few years. Because as technology progresses, of course, it creates opportunity, but as we all know, it also creates barriers. And unless there are plans laid to figure out how to address the accessibility barriers of the future, we are going to be stuck in the same cycle that we always are, saying, oh boy, here's a new technology. What are we going to do now? So we're trying to look ahead and plan by leading the target for accessibility. The descriptive video exchange is a concept that we came up with to address the problem of the simple availability of video descriptions. It's great that we have now legislation in place that requires a set of broadcasters a minimum of four hours a week of accessible described broadcasting. That really is cool, and it's a landmark. There are a lot of other hours of broadcast that are not described, and not only that, Television is beginning to be a smaller and diminishing part of the video market. What about YouTube? What about Netflix? What about Hulu? What about the e-texts that are starting to have video embedded in the electronic textbooks themselves? What are we going to do for equal access to education when educational materials are largely video, and are largely on the internet, not being broadcast and not covered by any of the legislation that we currently have in place. So these are the issues that we need to be thinking about. The other issue is sort of economic. Who is going to be doing the description of the future for these thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of video, and believe me, more and more video is being produced every year? Who is going to be doing that description? How is it going to be funded? These are the questions that we need to answer. So the descriptive video exchange is one approach to thinking about how we're going to deal with that. I'm going to tell you about how it works. Imagine you've got a video player that knows how to talk to Netflix, knows how to talk to YouTube. It might be a browser as well. It might be able to play DVDs as well. It might be a DVR as well. Think of it just as a video player. Imagine it's an accessible video player, such as Richard was just talking about and and discussing, which is just so incredibly cool. I'm so delighted that that's sort of in the market right now, because that's a key element to what we're doing. So imagine that one of Richard's video players could have any video described simply by turning on the description feature. That description doesn't have to be recorded on top of the existing program. Just like SAP works, that description can be provided separately. But the question is, where is it going to come from? So the other part of the DVX system is a server, a server that lives on the Internet and stores only the descriptive information. So if there's an audio clip that describes something, that is stored on this web server, and it's stored along with the information about what movie it goes with and what time it should be played in the movie. And simply by having a DVR or video player that can talk to this server, the system actually can allow anything to be described, because it means that any describer in the world could describe something, put it on our server, and it could be then available to everybody for when that program is viewed using this special video player. This is the power of the internet that we are trying to harness for our benefit. I want to now ask you to imagine something else. Imagine that not only can this video player play description for anything, but if there's something that you're watching that is not described, you could simply grab your microphone and record a description for that video while you're watching it. This means that anybody anywhere could describe anything for anybody else. It is an extremely powerful concept. And what it does is to put the power of video description into the hands of the people in the same way that Wikipedia has been created from crowd-sourced information, just from the people in the world putting their heads together and providing information for one another, we've created one of the most incredible informational resources that has ever existed. We can do the same thing for video description. The question is, how are we going to control the quality? So everybody says, well, if anybody anywhere can describe anything for anybody else, then some of it's not going to be that great, right? So there are ways of approaching the quality issue that we're researching at Smith Kettlewell. There are a number of ways that are already in use in many online crowdsourcing tools like Wikipedia, like Yelp, like Amazon. You can have user ratings, you can have people in charge of rating, you can have trusted consumers whose ratings are particularly valued, you can provide training for people so that only the people that have gone through the training are allowed to upload content. There are many different ways of controlling the quality, but the issue is to have a platform that they can use so that in the end, there's a way for everybody to contribute content. I would say that many of the people in this audience have consumed a great deal of video description. Am I right? But I would also guess that the vast majority of the description you have consumed is by jabbing a friend in the ribs and saying, what the hell is going on? This is a way to harness the power of that friend so that not only will you benefit from what they're describing, but everybody else can benefit as well. So, in a system like this, there doesn't have to be just one description for each video. There can be multiple descriptions. You can choose the description that you want to listen to, either based on ratings, or based on your previous experience with that describer, or based on the reputation of the company that uploaded the description, Any number of approaches can be done. You could even conceivably have multiple descriptions turned on at once. What if one describer is particularly interested in describing costume while another describer is focusing on setting? There are ways of arranging multiple describers so that they wouldn't interfere with each other so that they could be layered on top of each other, and so that one could be dominant. For example, if, if both try to speak at the same time, one of them, you, know, you, you say, I always want to hear Joe rather than Mabel. You know? So there are a number of ways of dealing with these types of advanced concepts. But really, once you sort of open this door, there are a lot of different possibilities. And what I'm trying to excite you about today is all of the ways in which a technology like this can provide better access for the video of the future. Better access for YouTube, better access for Netflix or Hulu or any number of other streaming internet venues, and, of course, better access for the educational materials that will increasingly be delivered via video. What about if you don't have this special video player? What if you go to a movie house? What if you go to a school assembly where they're playing a video that they're not using special equipment or a special video player that has description? One of the things that we're looking at is using the same kind of technology that is used by apps like Shazam and SoundHound so that your smartphone can actually listen to the movie that's being played in the room where you are, figure out what movie it is, where you are in the movie, and then be able to stream audio description to you through your smartphone synchronized with the movie that's playing in the same room with you. That kind of a model would only be possible via something like DVX, because the content needs to be completely separate from the audio description. So this is the kind of technology that we're investigating. Other possibilities are using smartphones rather than dedicated technologies for live theater descriptions. Why can't a bunch of us just use something like Skype to connect through our smartphones, our own technology, to hear a describer that's describing Annie or the Pirates of Penzance or whatever might happen to be the big blockbuster of the day, or a dance performance or a school assembly There are many, many different applications of the technologies that we're all starting to carry around with us all the time to provide better access to video. That's the stuff that we are working on at Smith-Kettlewell. I want to tell you a little bit more about some of the other things that we're trying to do, because, of course, we can work on our technology, we can look into the future, we can try to figure out what the next steps are, but the question is really... How do we make sure what we're doing is relevant to the people that really need it? How are we making sure that what we're doing gets into the hands of the people that need it? And how are we really ensuring one of our most important goals, which is access to educational materials? That is really one of the main things that we're concerned about, because without education, employment and entertainment really do kind of fade in comparison, because education is the first step. If we can't get blind kids to have equal access to educational materials, they're not going to be employable, and the entertainment stuff is just icing. So we really need to make sure that access to education is what we're focusing on. So we are partnering with a bunch of different fabulous organizations. The ACB is one of them. And we are so proud that the ACB has partnered with us in what we're calling the Description Leadership Network, a group of consumer and advocacy and industry organizations, all of whom have a stake in the outcome of the technology for video description of the future. Other partners are the National Federation of the Blind, the American Foundation for the Blind, and many of the people that are actually already involved in audio description, the Described and Captioned Media Program, Narrative Television Network, Caption Max, we're also working with Decapta, which is a description company that works primarily in uh, Spanish language description and captioning. And of course, there are many other places where description is important as well museums are very interested in making sure that accessibility of video and of exhibits is sort of moving in the right direction. So we're also partnering with the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, where we're actually going to be having a number of presentations at their multimodal learning conference this fall. So if any of you are interested in museum accessibility, there will be a number of sessions at the Metropolitan Museum of Arts conference this fall. It used to be called Art Beyond Sight, but I think they've changed the name. So this set of partners... Is an invaluable resource in helping us not only guide our technology developments, but also in reaching out to the various communities that really are the crucial consumers of description. One of the things that we're doing in collaboration with the Described and Captioned Media program is a series of accessible webinars so that we can reach out to teachers and educators to tell them how to use description in their classrooms. So we're having a series of four webinars that we're doing with DCMP, and those webinars are covering not only how to use existing described resources for education in their classrooms, but also how to use tools like Magpie and Live Describe. These are free description tools that are available on the internet. You can just download them and use them to describe your own materials. So we're teaching teachers how to use these currently existing resources to create described materials for their students. Those tools don't connect with DVX, so there's no way yet for those teachers to share the descriptions that they're creating, but teaching them how to do description is the first step so that in the future when there's a platform, DVX, for them to share their descriptions, they will already be experienced describers. They will already know how to create described materials for their students and will then be ready to share those materials with other teachers to use with their students anywhere in the world. Another one of the activities that we are doing as part of the Description Leadership Network is a series of focus groups We are interested in connecting with the people that are using description and really discussing in depth how these technologies are going to work and how they could be improved from a user perspective in order to make them more effective for use in the real world, in the classroom, at home, in the theater, and anywhere where you want to consume video description, which I think is going to be essentially everywhere. Those focus groups have been really, really helpful in helping us learn what the consumer really wants and also in helping us dream about what types of technologies people will need in the future. We're always thinking about that, but we're only a few people, and we often don't live in the situations that many consumers do We need to talk to people who are on the ground using video description about what it is we need to be doing and how we need to be thinking about this in order to be developing the tools that people will need. That's another thing that the Description Leadership Network is doing. We're also having these annual get togethers, these meetings in San Francisco of the Description Leadership Network, where the members of these different organizations get together in one place for a couple of days and really talk about the technical details of how this type of stuff is going to happen. Not just technical details for software and hardware, but technical details about how people are going to use these crowdsource description tools. What types of legislation need to be in place for us to be able to do this? Because to tell you the truth, while there are a number of lawyers that tell us that it's perfectly legal to have description synchronized with a video track that's downloaded from somewhere else. Other folks have said they're not so sure about it. So if this is going to be our approach in the future for providing video description, we need to make sure it's legal. We need to ensure that we're not just thinking about the technologies. We need to be thinking about the social and legal and financial implications of how description is going to be provided in the future. I think that a number of people are worried when I start talking about crowdsourced description. People think that this is going to necessarily lead to a drop in quality. They think it's going to lead to a lot of people who don't know what they're doing describing movies in a substandard way. I think that people are right to be concerned about that. But number one, as I said earlier, I think that we can put safeguards in place to help manage the quality of the crowdsourced material that we provide. And number two, there is absolutely no reason why a platform like this shouldn't spur the industry, the professionals, to be able to provide description more inexpensively, more easily, and with greater reach than ever before. The professional describers of the world are very excited about this platform, although it presents new challenges and some of them are a little bit nervous about the possibility of competing with the buddy that you jab in the ribs. Most of the professionals that I talk to are extremely excited about being able to contribute to a system like this. So I want to tell you that I think that a system like this is likely to greatly expand the availability of description and the availability of high quality professional description. In closing, I want to ask you to think about how we are going to have access to the video of the future. And if we are willing to play catch up again, then we can just wait for all of the video on the internet to be used in these new, different, exciting ways, and then to say, how are we going to do it? Or we can start thinking now about how we're going to do it. And that's what I'm encouraging us all to do. And I want everyone who thinks of how this is going to happen to get in touch. Let us know what you think. Let us know how you think the video of the future should be accessed. Because to tell you the truth, description is no longer a luxury, description is now an absolute necessity for us to gain access to the materials we need to do the things we want to do. We need it to gain access to educational materials. We will need it increasingly to be able to access employment materials. And of course, as ever, we need it for entertainment purposes. Entertainment is not to be minimized. We all want to watch the same movies that everybody else watches at the same time with the same level of accessibility. Of course we want that. Part of what we need to think about is what description really means. We've thought about it as description for video because that's what we've been doing, but description is actually an accessibility tool that we use in all parts of our lives. And one of the cool technologies that is being developed, not by my team, but we're keeping close tabs on it, a number of people are developing mobile apps that use a cell phone's camera and two-way audio communication to actually stream video to somebody somewhere else so that you can ask real-time questions about where you are and what you're doing, whether it's a document you're looking at or whether it's where the bus stop is at this intersection or any number of other tools. So description is no longer just for video. Description is starting to creep into many of the other aspects of our lives and the cool thing is that it's the mobile technologies that are going to enable us to really take advantage of that. I'm going to tell a quick story. When I was a little kid, my mom and I would go to various places. We would go to museums. She's an artist. We would always go to museums and my mom would say, okay, here's the rope, duck under the rope and go feel the sculpture. I'll tell you when the guard is going to come, right? And I know many of you have done that as well. It is easier to get forgiveness than permission. It is easier to do your own thing than to ask somebody else to do it for you. I don't think that we, at this point, are going to get buy-in from the original content producers until video description is actually in their faces. Until they realize that we're going to do it without them unless they do it at the outset, they will not do it. So we need to start by providing a platform for anybody to do description so that they can look at this and say wow this really is something we could actually record the description ourselves we could use this same platform rather than letting the stone teenager on the couch record the star trek description we can do it ourselves and we can do it better and that's i think what's going to stimulate them to do it thank you very much
0: Josh Neely from the Video Description Research Center was recorded in Louisville, Kentucky in July 2012. Send your suggestions or comments regarding ACB reports to the American Council of the Blind, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. On April 29, 2013, the Federal Communications Commission released a report and order to implement Section 718 and part of Section 716 of the Communications Act. Both of these sections were added to the Communications Act by the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010. Section 718 requires internet browsers installed on mobile phones to be accessible to and usable by individuals who are blind or have a visual impairment unless doing so is not achievable. This requirement applies when internet browsers are used for any purpose. Section 716 requires internet browsers installed on equipment used for advanced communication services, such as desktop computers, laptops, and tablets used for email, to be accessible to and usable by individuals with disabilities unless doing so is not achievable. This requirement applies when internet browsers are used for advanced communication services. These requirements apply to internet browsers installed on mobile phones and equipment used for advanced communication services manufactured on or after October 8, 2013. Check the website of the American Council of the Blind and future installments of this program for additional information about this important subject.